We live in a world um, that has lost its way. We protect animals, but fight for the right to protect babies. People believe that somehow gender is separate from sex. A biological male is now the women's swimming champion. Medical forms now include a box that says gender at birth. People seem to think if you don't agree with me on everything, you must be against me. But if you do something I don't agree with, I'm going to cancel you. People think my business is my business, but your business is also my business. You want to claim that I'm not who I used to be, but if I disagree with you, you will always be defined by the allegations of who you used to be. People no longer view the rainbow as a promise from God. We can no longer use the words gay, tweet, catfish, friend, follow, troll, or woke in their intended meanings. You can't turn on the TV without a rumbling in your spirit. What used to be kept in private is now public. As I said before, Victoria doesn't have any secrets. But yet we're called to live out our faith in this world. This week we begin a series that I hope will give us insight on how to do just that. We're starting a series called Daniel, Staying Faithful in an Unfaithful world. This, this isn't going to deal with all the end of Daniel and all the prophecies. We're not getting there. We're looking at the life of Daniel and his friends. We're looking at the actions that they have taken and what we can learn from that. From those of you who don't know Daniel's story, um, it takes place a little after the fall of, of Israel when Jehoiakim was king of Judah in 598 BC. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And he laid siege to the city. And after a time period, God gave the city into his hands. And he took the treasury of the temple back to the temples of his gods. And he also ordered his chief official, Aspenaz, to get some young men from the royal family and from the nobility who didn't have any physical defects, who were good looking, who were suitable for instruction in all wisdom and all knowledge and perceptive, capable of serving in the king's palace, and to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. And they were to be given royal food and wine from the king's personal storehouses. They were to be trained for three years to serve in the king's court. And four of these people were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. All young men from Judah. But we know the other three other names. Daniel we still call Daniel, but he was given the name Belteshazzar. But Hananiah became known as Shadrach. Mishael became Meshach. And Azariah became Abednego. And as they are brought there, and as they are put into the king's work, into the training, and they are told what they need to do, we pick up in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 8, we find out exactly what Daniel did in this situation. It says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief official not to defile himself. God had granted Daniel favor and compassion from the chief official. Yet he said to Daniel, my lord the king assigned your food and drink. 
I'm afraid of what would happen if you saw your faces looking thinner than those of the other young men your age. You would endanger my life with the king. So Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food, and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of the time the king had said to present them, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to serve in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the diviners, priests, and mediums in his entire kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel. The words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in the name of your son Jesus and for his sake and all God's people said. Daniel is kidnapped from his home. He is brought to Babylon. He is given a very special place to be. And he is given all the finest foods. But Daniel says no. You know, as we start this entire process and we look at this idea of being faithful in an unfaithful world, what Daniel first shows us is that it's more important to stay faithful to God than to please men. Daniel knew the dangers of saying no. He knew that if he said no, he could be killed. He could be deported. He could be made an example and just beaten and put out of anything. There's all sorts of things that could happen to him if he said no. But in Daniel's eyes, it was infinitely more important to be true to God than to please even the king. Israel had been given their laws for a reason. It kept them separate. It made them different from all the culture around them. If you look at Israel's laws and you look at them through history, even during the time of the Black Plague, the people of Israel were mostly untouched because they followed the laws that God had laid out for them. These laws were to make them look different. And Daniel had decided that it was more important to be separate than to be like everyone else. How often can the same be said of us? We're called to be separate. We're called to be different. We're called to look different than the world around us. We're called to, to, to live our lives among a people who do not follow God, yet remain faithful to our God. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. So how important is it to us to stay faithful to God rather than to please men? Starting from a very young age, we tend to fall to peer pressure. And from what I see, it doesn't really stop as you get older. There's still peer pressure. It just comes in different ways. But we're still called to be separate. 
We're still called to be different. We're still called to, to take a stand for what's right. And so when given the choice, what do we choose? I mean, it's, it's so much easier to simply follow the ways of the world than it is to stand up for God. There's a battle in our house almost daily. And I know a lot of you parents went through the same thing. But today, with the way the world is, it seems so much more. And that battle is this. Why can't I blank? All my friends get to watch that movie. All my friends have a cell phone. All my friends get to, to take part in this thing. Why can't I be a part of that? And the explanation is always the same. Because we try to do things that are pleasing to God. Not pleasing to the people around us. But my friends, and you know, I know y'all also this too. I'm not raising your friends. I am raising you. We're called to be separate. We're called to be different. We're called to look different. And if we stand up, someone may label us, right? They're a zealot. They're a Jesus freak. They're a Bible thumper. They're just judgmental. We may stand out and draw attention to ourselves. We may be put out of our comfort zone. I remember being a baby Christian in Azel High School. And there was a guy in our class who was Buddhist. And he really loved to pick at me. He really loved to just pick at my faith. He really wanted to, he wanted me to lose it. And I came close sometimes. But we're called to be different. We're called to, to, to love people even when we're not in a place where we want to be loved. And I was out of my comfort zone. This guy did not believe like I believed. He did not live like I lived. But yet, I was not comfortable. There is a fundamental misunderstanding of the rules and laws in our world, even among Christians. God didn't give the Israelites the law so they see if they would follow. It wasn't a test. It wasn't a, you do this, or you go to heaven, and you go to heaven, or you don't do this, and you go to hell, because they didn't think about heaven and heaven. To Jewish people, that was a later revelation. For them it was, we follow God, or we don't. The law was given as a witness to the nations around them. So when they saw the way in which Israel lived, when they saw how different they were from their own practices, they would know that Israel's God was different. Set apart and holy. The reason Israel went into exile was they failed to be different, set apart, and holy. They didn't follow the law. The functions didn't happen the way they were supposed to happen. The same can be said of our faithfulness. Our faithfulness isn't so much of a test of our belief, it's a witness to those around us. Are we the people we say we are? What does it say to the non believer when we have a relationship with? If our faithfulness is only Sunday deep. If the only time we talk to Jesus is on Sunday morning, as we sit in the pew, are we talking to Jesus? Are we growing? Are we understanding? 
Uh, are we learning those things? If that is our relationship, what does it say to the non-believer? Well, that's just an extra part. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. It's hard. What does it say about our God if He only affects that part of our lives? If He doesn't affect everything else. We have to come to the point, like Daniel, where being faithful to God is more important than pleasing our fellow man. But Daniel here doesn't just take a big stand. Daniel saw the importance of following God and even the little things. There were so many other issues Daniel, Daniel could have pushed on. Issues of true worship significance. The need to have the temple for worship. Because for Jewish people, the temple was worship. They part, of, part of the issue with the woman at the well, when she's talking to Jesus, she's like, well, you tell me who's right. Y'all worship at this temple over here. We worship on this hill. Who has it right? That's the question she asked. Trying to test Jesus. You know, for Jewish people, they need, they need the temple. Because honestly, Samaritans occurred because of this story, really. When these people were taken out of Israel, they left people in the land. They intermarried with people of intermarried with other people, poor people, and those are the Samaritans. They're dirty. That's what Jewish people thought. Daniel could have said, we need the temple to worship. I need to be able to return to Jerusalem every year for the feasts and the festivals. He could have drawn a big line. We need to sacrifice every year. We need to have no other gods. That will come up later. But the issue here at stake is one of the smaller details of the law. What they're going to eat. <laughs> yes, what you ate could defile you from, from worship. And it could make you unable to be in the assembly. But the temple and the assembly were far away. Yet, even in this small matter, Daniel purposed to be faithful. I'm not going to eat it. Can you, can you give me vegetables instead? He was supposed to be given the richest foods on earth. Hmm. We're talking, you know, wacky beef. I can't afford that stuff. <laughs> he was getting richest foods on earth. All the decadent desserts you can think of. The greatest cuts of meat. All of these things he was supposed to have. Instead, he chose to eat vegetables and drink only water. He turned down steak for broccoli. Brisket for Brussels sprouts. His diet had no animal products in it. So see, some of you are going, well, I can do broccoli, that's dip us in cheese. No, there was no cheese. <laughs> there was no milk. There was no butter. There was no eggs. No animal products in his diet at all. No rich food, so no sugar. No honey. No other additives. He didn't have Splenda. He didn't have Sweet and Low. He didn't have Stevia. He couldn't use any of that kind of stuff. He could only eat vegetables and whole grains, mostly rice, most likely, because he couldn't have leavened bread because there was no yeast either. You ever tried the Daniel fast? It's fast. <laughs> you want to give up in two days. I mean, there's just nothing. You don't get to salt your food. You don't, get, you don't get to do any of those things. It's a bland diet, and that's what he said. That's what I'm going to do. I am going to be faithful to God 
even in this. And this wasn't just for a 10-day decision. This wasn't just for the 10 days. This was what he was going to do for the foreseeable future, for at least three years. Because he had to be trained for three years. Daniel wasn't just willing to give up things to prove a point for a little while, because we're all willing to do that. He was willing to go forever if he had to. Now take a moment and think of your favorite dish. Your favorite dish. The one that, that oh, you can eat over and over and over again because it is man. It is it. Now imagine if you could never have it again. That's what Daniel was willing to do. In the little things. To give it up. It's important, it's so important for us to follow God even in the small things of life. Because when we follow Him in the small things, we're more likely to continue in the large things. Satan is always looking for a weak spot in the heart. He's always looking for a way to get in. And not following the small things gives him that weak spot. It gives him that way to get in. Because when we break the laws we find unnecessary, how long until those every law do we define as up to debate? You know, Peter asked Jesus one day about forgiveness, right? Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? And Jesus says, well, basically just forgive and keep on forgiving. Just keep on. But what if that? Just keep on. Did I stutter? Just keep on forgiving. It'll be okay. Just forgive. We're supposed to be faithful in this. <laughs> to always forgive you. Somehow, we begin to think that forgiveness is too good for somebody. We can't forgive. I can't forgive that. Or, my favorite. <clears throat> this is controversial. <laughs> well, I'll forgive, but I ain't going to forget. Do we think through what that means? What does it mean you're not going to forget? It means you're going to hold that in the back of your mind for the next time that they mess up, you can pass on them. That means you didn't forgive them in the first place. That's what it means. And it's hard. Because Jesus calls us to a vulnerability. He calls us to do something. Forgiveness requires forgetfulness. We have to, we have to in the words of Elsa, let it go. Gotta let it go. You gotta be done with it. Here's the key. <laughs> it's one of our smaller commandments, yet it affects our entire spiritual life. Because Jesus says, our forgiveness of others allows the power of God's forgiveness to penetrate our lives. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Don't, and you won't. But, the brother short, I already know Jesus. I'm guaranteed to go to heaven. I'm forgiven. And I know I am. <laughs> okay. What Jesus said here is, it's uh, impossible for a Christian to not forgive. The very nature of our relationship says that we're forgiven. What this verse says is that if you're holding a grudge, your very salvation is called into question. Because a Christian has to be forgiven, right? You can't be a Christian, you can't be a follower of Jesus and not be forgiven. 
Because by the very definition, when we come to know Jesus, He forgives us of our sin. So we have to be forgiven. But Jesus clearly says if we don't forgive others, then we're not forgiven. So that has to mean that if we're not forgiving others, our salvation is becomes very, as Charles becomes saying, sus. It's suspect. We have to look at it and ask ourselves, okay, does, do we really know Jesus if we can't forgive? You cannot call yourself a Christian and not forgive because in order to be forgiven, we have to forgive. Forgiveness is never about the other person. It's about us letting go. It's about us getting rid of that which keeps us from God. Holding a grudge is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's stupid and painful. That's holding a grudge. Because guess what? They don't know you're holding a grudge. They don't care that you're holding a grudge. Because they're off living their life. While I, I, while I sit over here and steal them what they did to me 15 years ago. Well, I can't believe they did that. And it just, they don't care. They're living their life. They're doing what they want to do. And if we're holding on to that, who's being hurt by it? I'm being hurt by it. I'm the one that's, that's finding myself going, oh, this just hurts so much. Because it's me. Our faithfulness in the small things proves our relationship and our faithfulness overall. For Daniel, it was what he ate. For us, it's the commands of Jesus. Our faithfulness in those things proves who we are. Proves who He is. Something else Daniel does here that's um, interesting. Daniel respects the custom of others. <laughs> Notice, he didn't go to the guy and say, Well, you know, I'm not going to do this. He said, Can I not eat that food? Can you give me vegetables and water? And then when Aspenaz came back and said, Well, Daniel, I like you, but the king told me to do this. And if I give you this food and you lose weight and, and you look thin and you're not who you're supposed to be, I'm going to be in trouble and I could die. And so Daniel said, okay, well, how about you test this for 10 days? That's what Daniel didn't say. He didn't say, your practices are detestable to me. Your practices, your food is detestable to my God. He didn't sit in judgment. He simply asked, can I be allowed to follow my own customs? And he made the deal. There's 10 days. And after 10 days, if we look worse, deal with us how you want to deal with us. His faithfulness to God had two characteristics we have to learn. First, he believed that God's laws were for his benefit. Our world doesn't think that anymore. You know, as, as kids and youth, when I was a youth, <laughs> I remember thinking that maybe my parents' laws weren't for my own good. They just didn't want me to have fun. Because there was so much fun out there that I wasn't having because my mom and daddy told me not to. There was an older woman once. I was 15. I didn't have a car yet. I was 15. And she was 18. Woo! I just thought, I just thought she hung the moon. And mama told me no. 
At 12, I was bigger than mom. I thought I knew everybody. So, uh, I got my friend two doors down, who was also a female my age, <laughs> to pretend like she was always going on walks with me. So I could go down to the, the Diamond Shamrock store of some sort and sit there on the payphone. Back then we had payphones. <laughs> and I would call that girl and sit there for 45 minutes on the phone talking to her I wasn't supposed to talk to. One day I had my daddy take me to the football game. I know, this is a lot of people don't know about football. But it was a football game. And dropped me off. And she met me there. And then one day, because I was a big bad 15 year old, I got my bike out. Didn't have Google Maps. That's my first mistake. I should have waited 30 years to have Google Maps. Um, started riding my bike. I lived between Lake Worth and Azel. And she lived in White Settlement. I was going to cut down Silver Creek Road because it's pretty, it's only about four or five miles. I missed my turn and I went down Cattle Baron Road. 22 and a half miles. I got to her house and I was like, it was good to see you. I got to go. I mean, I had to get back because Daddy didn't know where I was going to be. He just told me on a bike ride and I'd already been gone for four hours. And my mama told me that. She revealed those reasons to me later, and they were very valid reasons. Daniel believed that God's rules were for his benefit, they were to protect him, just like mama's rules were to protect me. And when I didn't follow mama's rules, I went through a lot of pain and a lot of heartache that I didn't have to go through. Daniel. Said, okay, serve me God approved, approved foods, and I'll be every bit as good as the others. That's faith. To say, give me broccoli and Brussels sprouts while you give them steak and lamb and everything else, and I'm going to be just as good as them. He believed that God's rules were for his benefit. But second, he could live in the midst of others without condemning them. There were lots of other boys there being trained who were eating the food that the king wanted them to eat. And he didn't look at them and say, well, if you ate like me, it would be okay. He didn't look down on them. He lived his life. He lived his faith. And he let his faith be the shining example. And Daniel and his friends were rewarded for their faithfulness. That whole last, the whole last, oh, I'm on the wrong page now. The whole last, what, five or six verses there are about their rewards. That they were all these spiritual rewards. That they had wisdom. They had knowledge. They could, see, they, could, they could interpret dreams. All these things that happened. Faithfulness is always rewarded. See, I'm not going to get up here. I'm, I'm not a mammoth planet preacher. You know what? I don't think that, that if you're faithful... God's going to increase your bank account. He might. But sometimes He doesn't. Sometimes that just doesn't happen. But He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you strength. 
He'll give you patience. He will give you gifts that you never knew you needed. Each and every time. That's what's amazing. Faithfulness is always rewarded. They were given wisdom and knowledge. They could, they, could, they could read. They knew all the languages. They could interpret dreams. All of these things because they were faithful. Because they were faithful in this little thing. We're not going to eat those foods. Can you imagine? I mean, Micah's favorite food is nachos. And if you have nachos around her, you're probably going to have to share if you didn't buy some for her. Because she can't be around them without eating. That's her. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were around all the food, all those smells. We've all been there, right? You know, whether we're preparing for a medical test or we're just on a regular diet or whatever else, and you walk into a room and somebody's cooking something and you go, oh, and I can't have it. Can you imagine being those four boys? And every time the meal was brought in, knowing that they had purpose they were going to follow God. I'm not going to eat this. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to eat my beans with no bacon in them. You don't make beans without bacon or salt pork. You're not the same. <laughs> And they're rewarded. But it will make an eternal difference. Maybe it's about music or TV. Maybe it's about books. Maybe it's about friends. I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe God has been saying to you, this is something I need you to do. And you've been going, that's not really going to matter. And God's going, but it does. That thing matters. The last thing you want if you're preparing for a space shuttle to be launched is to find a bag of bolts sitting there next to it. You don't know where they go. It's just a bolt. I mean, that's... It was a little bitty part that caused the Challenger to explode so many years ago. One little part. Sounds a little thing to the big things. Maybe this morning God's been working in you on something. Maybe this morning... You got some other need. You want to pray? The altar is open. I'll pray with you if you want to serve in missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe you want to rededicate your life. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've sat in church your entire life. You've heard the sermons. You've heard people talk about Jesus. And it's never dawned on you, but something in you is stirring this morning. And you want to know Jesus. It's not hard. You walk down and say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus. So we'll go from there. But wherever you're at this morning, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings.